So, you know, we really looked at each other and said, what do we just get ourselves into? And, uh, but uh, yeah, no. And so again, stuck through that and uh, worked hard. Everybody put in shifts in the restaurant, you know, and um, we worked every position, wore every hat. And that led to us, you know, getting to a break-even point and then started making a little bit of money. And and then that led to us, you know, going to corporate and seeing if they would sell us a corporate store and, and end up buying a corporate store. And then after that, we ended up buying another franchisee store. And then, you know, that's kind of how we got ramped up in franchising. So... Welcome to Franchise Empires, where aspiring entrepreneurs learn exactly what it takes to become a successful franchise owner from one location to 10 and beyond. I'm the Wolf of Franchises. Hey everyone, it's the Wolf. Today on the show, we have Al Bakta, one of the founding partners of CMG Companies. CMG is one of the largest multi-unit franchisees in the country and probably the world. Al and his friends founded this a little over 20 years ago by buying into a small franchise called Genghis Grill. They've since expanded into concepts like KFC, Taco Bell, Sonic, Little Caesars, Marriott Hotels, Ace Hardware, and more. It's a fascinating journey of six friends who have now become one of the most successful franchise operation companies in the world. I think you'll enjoy this. The Wolf of Franchises is the CEO of Wolfpack Franchising, as well as a creator at Workweek Media. All opinions expressed by the Wolf and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Wolfpack Franchising or Workweek. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The Wolf, Workweek, and Wolfpack Franchising may maintain positions in the franchises discussed on this podcast. You guys started what in the early nineties? Late nineties, early yeah, early two thousands is so it's a little over twenty years. So okay, yeah, can you want to walk me through? I know you know you got a you and about looks like five other people on the founding team, and how was that coming together? What was the initial goal that you guys said let's come together and do? You know what was it originally the plan? Yeah, no. So we've all you know known each other. Really, some of us have known each other all of our lives. You know, myself and Nick are first cousins. And then we've kno- a couple of the guys have known each other since high school. And, and uh, frankly, in the late 90s, we all met in college together. So that's really, you know, we became friends first and came from pretty humble beginnings. So none of us kind of grew up on third base. You know, we all, you know, put ourselves through school, you know, had multiple jobs and, and we thought we had time to start a couple of businesses in college. And so that's, you know, the start of the story, you know, really friendship first and we were entrepreneurial and, and hungry and willing to hustle. Back then, I don't think they called it side hustle, but uh, you know, we, we certainly uh, <laughs> certainly did a lot of different things. But together, got to understand how we work together, and uh, you know, that formalized kind of post college into investing in franchise businesses. You know, and so you know, mo- everything we own has a kind of a multi unit franchise component to it and uh, started 2001 with a brand here in Dallas where we're based. Uh, It was a two-unit concept at the time and we were one of the original franchisees of the concept. So we basically signed up to be one of their original franchisees and most of us had day jobs kind of post-college and went on, you know, so luckily this again, we were doing this on nights and weekends and, but again, we signed up and we always tell everybody the first Tuesday you know, we opened up for dinner, you know, not a single customer walked in the door. So that that's no you know, way. Like the tentacle. Yeah. So we had, you know, personal guarantees on the, 
on the lease. We had a personal guarantee with an SBA loan, everything, and not a single customer walked in the door. So that's our start. That's how we <laughs> started in the franchise uh, space. So, you know, we really looked at each other and said, what do we just get ourselves into? And, uh, but uh, yeah, no. And so again, stuck through that and uh, worked hard. Everybody put in shifts in the restaurant, you know, and um, we worked every position, wore every hat. And that led to us, you know, getting to a break-even point and then started making a little bit of money. And and then that led to us, you know, going to corporate and seeing if they would sell us a corporate store and then end up buying a corporate store. And then after that, we ended up buying another franchisee store. And then, you know, that's kind of how we got ramped up in franchising. So. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, tough start, but obviously it's, uh, you know, it's had a happy ending here. Or we're not at the end, right? But um, <laughs> so, I mean, Genghis Grill, like, I mean, was there much thought back into it? back then like or did you guys have a thesis why even restaurants you know was there any or is it kind of just like you guys are all friends you wanted to just own a business together and you know you found that one well yeah so while while we were in college in 99 uh, we were fans of the brand and uh, we used to go and eat there and we sat at the bar and and uh, you know have had some drinks so that that was the thesis and uh, Nick one of the partners he basically left a uh, business you know he, it, there was a comment card where you fill out it you know how uh, you enjoyed the visit and the food etc and um, the one of the things in there saying you know would you be interested in franchising so Nick had kind of put in saying yeah if you guys ever franchise give us a call and you know when they launched their franchise platform, they kept those comic cards and called us. So yeah, no, there wasn't a, uh, you know, an MBA or a thesis built around it. It was just, we were fans of the brand, so. Yeah, and so how many, we'll obviously kind of, we'll take it step by step here and get into each brand that you've kind of expanded into, but let's go from that night where opening night and zero customers walk in. How long was it before you expanded to another location? Yeah. So again, it took about 18 months to get to break even. And then we started making a little bit of money and then saw a line of sight. So, you know, roughly uh, a couple of years before we decided, okay, we can make money doing this. And so then we ended up buying a a second store from corporate. Yeah. And uh, so we bought a second store and did really well with that store. And then, you know, we bought a franchise store after that. We've got a unique story. I mean, we started as a franchisee in a small brand, uh, going through some struggles the brand was as well, as well as, uh, you know, our struggles to get through that. But we ended up buying the brand. So we went, you know, we were, we had three units of six, you know, there were three other franchisees at the time. And in late 2004, we ended up buying the brand. So frankly, it was, brand wasn't going anywhere. And we were the largest kind of franchisee in the brand. So we felt like for us, we loved, you know, we were passionate about it. And we felt like, hey, we can kind of take it and grow it. And primarily initially just to do it as a, you know, at worst case, we weren't looking to franchise. We're like, hey, if we can just continue opening our own stores. These would be royalty free stores and, and we could do well just in Dallas, Fort Worth. That was kind of the reasoning for it. And uh, but anyways, we bought the brand. So we went from being, a you know, we call it the cook to the C-suite really quickly. Right. We were <laughs> in the restaurants, operating restaurants and we still had our day jobs, by the way, all of us, but we ended up, you know, starting to quit those day jobs when we became the franchisor. But uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah. so we, we basically took the helms of the franchise and, and started really just, you know, fixing unit level economics, you know, reducing cost to build and improving food costs. You know, we, we improved quality of the food, et cetera, just things that we knew were working. And, yeah. and all of that led to us opening our next store 
you know, we opened it, you know, new and that was hugely successful. And then, and then we started opening a couple more stores and then franchisees started coming after that saying, Hey, we're really interested in the brand. We'd like to franchise. So we, you know, simultaneously we were developing corporate stores and signing up franchisees. So in the heyday, we got it up, you know, past a hundred plus stores, about half of those stores were corporate stores that we still owned and operated. And then the other half were franchise, but again, we still own it. We have a full team that runs that uh, division, you know, for us, but half the brand is still corporate stores that our team still runs and operates. So. Gotcha. Okay. And on the second location that you guys opened, right. Or I guess you acquired it from the, from corporate, you said. So was that a, like a seller finance deal or how you, are you guys able to put the cash together for that one or? Um, yeah. You know? So no, that's a great, that's a great question. So, you know, the first one, it was just kind of bootstraps or a little bit of our own capital. And uh, we had a SBA loan and got it figured out on the second one, because we were starting to make a little bit of money, we were doing about half the volume. Our store that we owned was doing about half the volume. The, this corporate store was, doing, but it was, you know, the corporate store was losing money <laughs> that would double the volume. And so we're like, okay, you know, weak. And it's, it was in a far superior location. And so we ended up, you know, working a deal out with the franchisor at the time, you know, of, hey, let us let you use it for, you know, corporate purposes, testing, et cetera. But, you know, let's work a deal. And so you know, it wasn't seller financing, but we ended up, you know, raising some friends and family capital, showing them, hey, look, we're doing half the volume making money. If we take this over, and then, so we got a little bit of a royalty relief to let them test in that store. And so that was kind of the, that was the deal. And so the, you know, we ended up raising some friends and family capital and, and it worked out really well because we ended up distributing to our investors the first quarter we owned it, you know, right after the first quarter we owned it. So it, it, we turned it from, you know, losing a store that was losing money to a, a very profitable venture very quickly. So, yeah, that's awesome. Well, so going from you know that concept to i mean today you've got kfc's taco bell sonic little caesars some hotels it looks like ace hardware yeah i mean i don't even know where to begin it i think kfc comes next right you know what was the thought there and you know how do you guys develop the strategy over the years of new builds versus maybe acquiring existing locations yeah so i mean look i think we realized you know early on we liked being a franchisee and, and uh, you know, not having to worry about the marketing and and the, you know, innovation and, and the food quality and supply chain and all those things, you know, although we learned a lot while we were doing that, we realized, hey, it, it makes sense to, to kind of team up with some of the larger franchisors and also learn from them. And so, you know, a couple of the partners that were a little bit more passive, you know, as passive investors in our deal with Genghis, you know, decided, hey, we can, we'll go do this full time as well. And, and so, you know, they kind of led the way and got approved, you know, we got approved in Yum Brands in 08, you know, first store opened in 09. We did a new development deal. So it was, uh, you know, we primarily wanted to be a Taco Bell franchisee, but at that time they were doing dual brand KFC and Taco Bell. So, and so the opportunity set really came because of KFC. And so, but yeah, no, we opened a, a new unit you know, from scratch in, you know, close to us at the time it was a rural market of Dallas. Now it's, you know, it doesn't feel rural at all anymore, but uh, <laughs> yeah. that was our first store. It was, we opened it in 09. So, you know, you think about the environment in 09 at that time, but uh, yeah. it was actually successful. It did well and opened big. And, um, you know, that led to us going to corporate to see if we can expand. And so there was an opportunity to acquire some stores that were 
underperforming and, and about to go dark. Frankly, there was a you know they weren't doing really well, and the brand needed somebody to come and take them over in the Midwest. And so we ended up buying up uh, you know twenty plus stores in the Midwest, and um, they saw the experience we had with Genghis Grill, and and uh, you know we had a, a successful opening, and so they allowed us to kind of go from you know one unit and say, hey, we'll let you buy these twenty. I mean, they didn't have a ton to lose, I guess, because they were going to go dark and it was a distressed situation. But we ended up taking those stores over and turning those stores around and really got on the radar once we did that, you know, six, nine months later with KFC corporate. And, uh, you know, that's when additional opportunities started coming our way. So, I mean, you know, fast forward, you know, one store in 09 to close to 200 stores today. Uh, you know, it's been a great journey. A lot of that was acquisition. And then we've obviously layered that in with new development over the years as well. So. Well, so let's talk about that 20 unit acquisition though. I mean, like, what are you guys looking at where it sounds like Young Brands is literally ready to, to shutter those stores, close them down completely. You know, like I'm sure the balance sheet, like the financial statements are showing losses, I would guess. What about them did you see where you guys were like, hey, like, yeah, we'll actually take these on, which is a massive operational challenge probably. And are, are you able to pinpoint things that are wrong like with the way they're running them and you're like we know we can do this better like how do you know that you're going to turn it around is kind of my question yeah look i mean i think you know again there's an inherent belief in in ourselves and and we're risk takers you know that's one and we obviously you know believed in the brand right and uh we were able to it was kfc number one and number two you know there were some dual brand kfc taco bells in that as well and so we felt it wasn't the market. It's not the brand. And so then that leads to kind of operations and, and culture and, you know, previous ownership, et cetera. And, and, you know, there was reasons why this group of stores became distressed. A lot of times it's balance sheet related, and then they're not investing back in the stores. And then the culture gets lost on the front lines with our team members. And and so we saw a lot of that, right? You can, sh- you know, mystery shop these stores and you can see reviews and et cetera. And you see, you know, it's basic stuff, you know, at the end of the day, right? It's, it's, we're in the service business, you're in, in you know, your product quality has to be right. You got to get the product out quickly in, in the QSR space. And there's, there wasn't a one magic pill that says, Hey, we've, you know, we did this. It's, it's really just changing that entire operational culture and, and getting in there, rolling up our sleeves. I mean, two of the six guys, you know, at the time partners, you know, lived out there in an apartment for six months and, Oof. you know, and spent time away from their families and, and really did that, right. Put the right people in place and, yep. you know, and that started changing the culture, which leads to better operations. And, you know, and then the financial results usually come after that. Sometimes it takes longer, you know, and you run into roadblocks, but in general, that's the playbook, right? So, okay. I've heard that before. Like I spoke to a little Caesars franchisee who owns close to a hundred of them. Also, I think he's out of Houston. So in the Texas area as well, but um, yeah, he lived in a motel out by his first little Caesars for like a year straight. So I think just for folks listening, all right. I mean, it's not necessarily what you have to do, but you know, I think it's no surprise that you guys are as successful as you are when you're willing to do that, right? A lot of people aren't even willing to work till 5 p.m. on a Friday. And you have, you know, founders who relocated for six months straight. So uh, it just shows the level of commitment. And if I want to ask too, you know, as much as you can share, of course, but I am curious, like, you know, within the Yum Brands organization, right, which massive public entity, you said that kind of like once you turned around those 20 KFCs that 
you kind of got on the radar of them. So is there like, like, is that kind of how it works where you can build a reputation within Yum as a good operator and, and like you kind of get maybe more opportunities and more phone calls or? Yeah, I think it's, I think that's not, you know, it's just not indicative of Yum. It's true of all large systems, legacy systems, systems that yeah. are going through change or consolidation or, you know, so I, I think that's true of many, you know, kind of, I, I would say tier one, you know, tier two legacy systems that need to change and are looking to change. And a lot of times there's franchisees that, you know, aren't upholding the brand standards. And and so you start doing some of that, you know, you're going to get on the radar of the franchisor. And, and that's part of the relationship, right? That you are a brand steward and they see you doing the right things and, and uh, making the investments and, you know, doing the work and, and, you know, and, and you know, you, you, this is not new. It's just, there are franchisees and systems that have been around a long time or they're second, third generation and things have fallen, you know, off, you know, for whatever reason. And it leads to culture and operations. But, you know, it's a lifestyle business sometimes, right, where they've already made their money and, and the second generation doesn't want to take it over or they don't run it the way they used to run it. And all those things are are all factors. And a lot of times it is just that new energy and that takes it to the next level. And, and if the brand is at the same time looking to remodel stores and bring in new menu innovation and do a lot of things. And maybe some franchisees are set in their own ways that they, Hey, that's kind of how we used to do it. it. It's all about, you know, a lot of times it's about timing. We came in the KFC system at the right time, you know, and, and there was a consolidation going on and they needed help uh, from franchisees to move the brand forward. And I think that's, you know, what happened there. So. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, timing is everything. And I could see where you kind of have the, newer franchisees who have shown they can handle operations and versus maybe legacy franchisees that turnover here is really common within systems so that makes total sense moving away from yum you know you have sonic and little caesars in your portfolio as well so i know you said at first it was kind of like you know let's buy that restaurant that we drank in college but uh <laughs> you know did you develop a bit of a thesis around restaurants because uh, i guess uh between kfc and taco bell right you got fried chicken you got mexican food and then you knocked off pizza and kind of like the classic burger and fries concept at sonic right i mean i think we've now got you know the big kind of four covered in qsr with you know mexican chicken and uh burgers and pizza but yeah, I think, um, you know, we did get into other, you know, other brands that we no longer own. Some smaller brands, we bought the brand. We weren't the franchisee, you know, a lot of stuff around kind of Texas and our region. And and we realized that the amount of effort that went into doing some of those smaller brands, you know, really took away time from our bigger businesses, right? Mainly Genghis. And, and once we realized every time we did that, we're taking away and kind of the the overall operational leverage that we had of, you know, pushing things forward came when we had more units in the same thing, doing the same thing over, sort of like that flywheel effect. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it, it wasn't exactly how we set out the plan, but uh, we wanted to diversify. And then we realized, okay, hey, let's get into kind of tier one, tier two brands that could use our expertise, that we can drive a culture. And that's, you know, Sonic was, you know, we evaluated all the burger brands out there and the opportunity set felt similar to what we saw in KFC. And so we felt like, hey, we can implement our playbook and that's worked out. You know, we've got 100 plus stores in Sonic and we look to continue to grow via acquisition and development there. And it's been a good relationship with the franchisor. And, yeah. you know, Little Caesars is, is, is similar as well. You know, it's been a 
you know, we're, we're just starting in Little Caesars. We've got about 20 stores and we look, we're looking to continue growing. We had development and, and uh, acquisition. So we're still young and understanding that brand, but uh, so far so good. And, you know, and, and again, we're also, we're long ball players, right? So this is, um, although we've now, you know, institutionalized a little bit like private equity or a family office and we've got a large portfolio, we're not, we're still operators at heart and we're not looking to sell anytime soon, right? So we're not, you know, in a three to five year investment thesis and we got to, you know, monetize our investment. We understand these things take, sometimes it's not a perfect straight line up, right? It, you have to take some different variations to get there, but we're not here to get in and get out, right? And, and so it's, it's more long ball and that also plays well to the franchisors. I think they'd like to hear that, right? That we're not here to sell and we want to grow and reinvest. And, and I think it's uh, worked out well for us. Looking from the outside in, uh, definitely. And uh, when it comes to Little Caesars, right? you know, Yum's obviously, and this is something I get is maybe your newer franchise buyer maybe overestimates the competitive nature of a franchise agreement, right? Where, you know, some think if you buy one fast food brand, you can't buy any other type of QSR. But then here you are, right? Like you own KFC and Taco Bell and you, you've you been able to still acquire Little Caesars, which directly competes with Pizza Hut. It, was there any red tape there or even maybe even did you, would there have been a benefit to staying within Yum somehow with Pizza Hut? versus just a different franchise or system completely. Yeah, no, I think that's, you know, that's a valid point. I mean, we certainly, you know, looked at Pizza Hut, you know, as part of the evaluation of brands, right? We looked at Pizza Hut, we looked at Domino's, we looked at Papa John's, and we looked at Little Caesars. I mean, it's no secret that you know, we had the luxury of outside looking in to say, which one would we get into, why? And, you know, and that we just felt like the Pizza Hut system was fairly established. There was already a lot of consolidators in the space. There's a lot of institutional players already in Pizza Hut. And and again, you know, outside looking in within Yum, we understood some of the the cultural changes that were already happening in Pizza Hut. So that was part of the evaluation set for sure and, and the, the characteristics and traits we were looking for. But out of those four brands, we felt like, you know, Little Caesars, you know, had kind of the value equation just kind of they own it. And and, and um and so that felt really natural to us. And, and then, you know, there's a lot of franchisees that own less than five stores. There wasn't a, a ton of consolidators because historically that's not what the, you know, Illich family was looking for. They're, they, you know, primarily family owned independent franchisees that had, you know, up to five stores. And so, and that's worked out well for them. And so we felt like, okay, there's an opportunity to acquire in this brand and there's still some development opportunity and you know, so I, again, it was a consideration set of where that where Little Caesar stood, of where the opportunity set was at that time. And I think it's, you know, we think we're right about our thesis there with Little Caesars that, you know, it, it is the right brand. It clearly owns value in that space. And again, I think there's a nice opportunity to consolidate and, you know, create unit growth via acquisition. And there's still development, you know, ability left, which is what the brands want, right? They want you to ensure that you're developing as well to grow the system. So yeah. That's interesting, though. So maybe was there almost like a bit of a competitive dynamic in your favor where because Little Caesars didn't re- like, right, for instance, Pizza Hut, like I know Greg Flynn, who was on this podcast at the end of last year, acquired 900 Pizza Huts in one clip, I think, in one of the biggest transactions ever. You know, you got other big fish in there, too, though, whereas Little Caesars, maybe you're coming in potentially being the biggest fish just leaves you the opportunity to maybe consolidate and buy a bunch of potentially, right, Little Caesars from the smaller operators who could be exiting the system? 
That's right. I mean, again, there are a few strong consolidators and larger players in Little Caesars, but not to the extent Pizza Hut had, right? And there was a lot of attention also on, on you know, Domino's is at a point where, you know, folks like us, you know, they weren't letting people get to a large scale. We want to get to a certain amount of scale within each brand. Like we'd like to be at least top five operator in terms of size in each one of the systems. So we'd like to represent ourselves on the franchise advisory councils, et cetera. And so, and again, we prove ourselves to get there. It's not like we asked for that day one, but it's one of those things where we felt like the biggest opportunity for us to add that value as an operator is, was in Little Caesars and not necessarily the other three brands, right? You know, just switching gears here to operationally, I mean, you guys own brands in, you know, 15, 20 states, it looks like at least, probably more. Um, yeah, we're close to 30 states, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, just can you give folks an idea of, you know, like, let's say you enter a new state. I mean, now you have capital behind you, so maybe it makes it easier. But what's like your game plan for you're now the owner of a restaurant that maybe you don't have boots on the ground there? You know, like, is there a process that you guys go through to make sure, right? Because you're not just, ha- it's not like a a corporate type company where you're just going to have a Zoom call with someone. <laughs> like you want to make sure the, the restaurant's being run the right way that you guys want it to be run like. So yeah, what's that process like? Yeah, like, I mean, I think we've got, you know, each one of the brands are you know separately ran and operated. We've got teams with each of the brands. We have, you know, operational leadership and accounting back office leadership within each brand. So in terms of how we set up, you know, it's really, kind of bottom-up hierarchy, to be very honest with you. So it's the restaurant GM and the district manager in each of those brands. So, you know, that's where it starts. You know, we always call ourselves effectively overhead. That really is not going to add a ton of value, right? So uh, we, we obviously have playbooks and we have our culture and and we'd like to help create the you know annual operating plans and budgets. But outside of that, operational leadership and the you know, the back office leadership, there's usually two people per brand that, that lead that. And, but yeah, we're looking for folks that, you know, believe in the culture and, and, you know, do right by our customers and it's a tough business, right? I mean, and so it's, uh, especially on the restaurant side, obviously we're in other franchise brands and none of the businesses are easy by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, the restaurant business, uh, you know, it's even harder. Right. And so, you know, that's where it starts. So it, our district, you know, managers have to be in the markets, right? That's a big piece of it. Our you know, ops leadership on an executive level necessarily, you know, they need to be in planes and cars, you know, they don't have to be in any one market, but they just got to be on the road and be in the restaurants, right? That's a big piece of the operational culture, what drives it. And, you know, we all try to hit restaurants whenever we're in markets and go see folks. And I mean, we're not we don't add a ton of value anymore, right? But we at least we're culture agents, right? We want to make sure that the culture is right and, and the expectations are there and really just shaking hands and giving hugs, you know, when we're out there because those folks are going through, they're the lifeblood of what we do. So. Yeah, I think it makes a huge difference just from a cultural perspective, right? The person who still shows their face versus just never seen or hearing of them. So uh, I I think it makes a big difference in the eyes of the employees. Um, You know, kind of getting towards the end here, but uh, looking at the full portfolio, I mean, you guys have definitely, you know, really explored outside of restaurants. You know, I've mainly asked you about kind of the the big fast food brands, but, you know, I see you have some hotel brands, you have Ace Hardware, you know, what's the thought process in expanding outside of that? I guess 
I'm asking that more from the perspective that pretty much most restaurant operators I've met and even the ones who've been on the podcast, they pretty much, their portfolio may have a lot of brands, but it's almost always just been restaurants. But you guys are going a little bit, not all over the place, but I mean, Ace Hardware, you got home improvement, then you got hotels, and I even saw some sports brands in there. So yeah, is it just your big believers in franchise systems? Is that kind of, and actually Ace is more of a co-op too, right? Ace is a co-op, but I mean, it's just, that's a different label for saying you're just buying, you know, the supply chain from the franchise or but effectively. Yeah. So look, I think we covered the kind of the QSR play. We, we like QSR. There's probably some other segments within food that we still would explore, but you know, we got into hotels shortly after our KFC entrance, KFC Taco Bell entrance. And so we got into, you know, Hilton and then Marriott and IHG and limited service and, teamed up with, you know, kind of top class management companies to to run those. And again, those guys always used to say restaurants are much harder to operate than hotels. And then you actually go see it and go, yeah, hotels are a little easy. It's not, it's not an easy business by any stretch again, but definitely easier than restaurants. And so we're like, well, okay, find the right brand and the right opportunity. It makes sense. And so that led to us getting into Rent-A-Center, which is a rent to own franchise, you know, we're the largest franchisee in Rena Center. And so that was, that's a retail brand, a niche retail brand that has five team members per store closed on Sundays, you know, every day, you know, our team's off at six, seven o'clock. So less hours, five people run it, do very similar volumes as a average KFC or Sonic does. And, you know, with 25, 30, 35 team members <laughs> per store. So it's sort of like, you know, we looked at it and go, Hey, we can run a playbook and, uh, you know, it's all about the culture, you know, and we try to bring in experts within that industry. So with hotels, we brought in hotel management companies. You know, once we got into Rent-A-Center, we brought in some key leadership folks that we give equity to those guys and they become partners with us. And, okay. you know, they know that business, you know, they know that brand and that industry. And so, but we know everything else, right? We know what works culturally, you know, and, and most of the stuff, plays out really well, which is, hey, we want to be a best-in-class operator in all these brands and systems. We want to prove ourselves. And that's by doing things right by the brand and operating well. And and so, again, all that is a playbook. And, uh, you know, franchise systems provide that. And we know how to do everything else, we feel, right? So that's, you know, Rent-A-Center was a successful venture for us. And that led to getting in Ace Hardware. And, you know, we're up to almost 30, you know, we're going to be at 38 stores here in a few weeks and continuing to grow. I mean, so, it, and yes, it's a, you know, Ace is a co-op, but it's just really a designation because you're buying from them. And then, uh, you know, again, it's a large powerhouse brand that has a successful multi-unit playbook that you got to follow. And, and uh, that's what we're doing. So, yeah, I mean, we're looking at automotive, we're looking at fitness. We feel like we're looking for tier one, tier two brands and all these categories, but it is muscle memory. It's it's finding the right people, setting the right culture and running that playbook. And uh, we're starting to get good at it after 20 years. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, I'd say so. I guess, you know, I've, I've been hearing just like a recurring theme of brand, right? The powerhouse brand uh, is a big difference for you. And, you know, I guess maybe it's not even a question. It's more just interesting noticing kind of where you guys want to play, right? There's folks who take the other side of the coin and almost, you know, I know they're successful franchisees, big platforms, but they start with emerging brands and they kind of buy out these big territories and build and they grow with the franchisor. And then by the time the franchisor is famous, they're sitting there with a hundred plus locations. You know, there's definitely an argument to be made it's riskier, but 
It's also uh, maybe less harder to break into, right? Yeah. Relatively. But uh, yeah, I guess, you know, is that accurate, though, that at this point, you guys are more just focused on, you know, it's got to have a certain threshold of units built and brand recognition nationally, but for you to be interested? I think that's, I mean, look, I, I hate to generalize. We started, you know, in an emerging brand, then became the franchisor, then got with a tier one, you know, so we've been through kind of a different path, probably a very unique path than maybe your typical conversations. But at the same time, like you never say never, like we, there's, you know, there's some great brands in fitness, et cetera, that we probably have missed out on because we didn't get in early on, as you mentioned. And so I think we've learned that, hey, is the unit economics right? Is the brand, you know, it, the brand's got to go through at least, you know, one or two cycles. You know, it has to have been around at least a certain period of time. I, we don't know that number because if they grow too fast, sometimes that's not a good thing. But, you know, it's sort of, you know, it's a combination of a lot of things, you know, are existing operators building, are they just signing up franchisees, you know, collecting a check, you know, from a franchisee to, you know, if they develop or not. I mean, all those things kind of play in it, you know, whether it's a brand that's going to be around where we think it's going to be around for the next 10, 15, 50 years, right? And so, again, there's no perfect criteria credit box that we check and say, hey, here's what it has to tick off. But look, I think... Like you said, there are some inherent risks, but there's a ton of upside and there's a lot of reward if you can get in on a brand early. So we all, we're always on the lookout. I would say we're definitely more, we lean more towards tier one, tier two, established, been through cycles that we can scale in. Yeah. Uh, but that's not always, you know, kind of what we're, we're always looking. I mean, hey, we're, we listen to your podcast, right? So <laughs> you're, you do big brands and established brands and we learn a lot from you and your podcast on the emerging brands, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I appreciate that. No, uh, that's funny. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I guess just final question here. I mean, Franchise Times did a nice write up on you guys, you know, I think midway through last year. You became on the radar and you're on the list of the top 200 multi unit franchisees. I guess I'm curious with these organizations, right? If you take a one off restaurant, let's take one KFC, I mean, the general school of thought is that fast food after royalties, you're hoping, you know, 10%. Uh, EBITDA margins, right, is kind of the goal. But with an organization like this, and the Franchise Times, you know, published, like, right, the, as a company, as a f- all-in, you guys do north of 350 million. Do the numbers get better at that scale, where you and the partners get to share in profits at a greater percentage than that? Or just G&A, right? Because you guys have teams, I would imagine, right, in corporate buildings that, that aren't actually in, in the restaurant, you know, doing anything. So, like, do, do the margins get better? Or does this kind of flesh out. Yeah, no, I mean, no, I mean, each brand has its own unit level economics. You know, we, we again, we're, you know, I think the number's 450 plus units across, you know, all the different brands. So, I mean, it's, it's like 650 million, I, you know, in terms of revenue, but it's still, you know, net, net, it's still 10%, you know, at, at when you look at everything. And again, some of the brands have much better margins. Some, some you need a little bit more GNA because you're scaling them up. It's a combination. Of a lot of that. Again, we keep everything you know separate, right? It's um, again we have our hands on. We're involved at the ownership level, but we've got again full full teams in each one of the buckets of businesses and portfolios. So there are some scale opportunity where you are leveraging, you know, your benefits packaging and you leverage your buying power with insurance and this and that and that that obviously. Well, it does help and that, that adds value, but each brand needs its own love 
and what we've realized. And so having shared services platforms and things like that is, it looks really good on a, you know, on an Excel model, you know, but uh, <laughs> ultimately, you know, a, a 20 unit portfolio of Little Caesars needs the same amount of love as the 200 yum KFC Taco Bell portfolio with 200 units, right? And and so you need folks that are, you know, living and breathing that brand every day and uh, worrying about that brand to get it, you know, grow it and do the right things by that brand. And so we have everything kind of compartmentalized from that side. We don't cross collateralize anything. And, and each brand has, it has its life cycle, right? It's that some may be going through a big growth spurt. Some are established and in your portfolio. So we realize that those things all matter. So, so yes, there is some opportunity in scale and, and, you know, making more from a margin standpoint, but you know, I think you got to look at the unit level economics of each brand separately, and that's how we do it, right? That's the way it works for us, and it and it seems to work well. You know, yeah. Is there an overarching goal here? You know, are you chasing Greg Flynn, or, or you know, you guys just kind of? Well, do- Greg's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he's uh, he's definitely one of the mentors and pioneers, and and uh, you know, the KBP guys and the Danani's and all those guys are awesome guys, and and again, mentors and guys that that guys that we look up to but uh you know look we're i think we're diversifying probably more than some of those guys are they're very deep into a lot of the systems and i think we like other franchise playbooks and so um you know hopefully uh you know we can lead the way a little bit there but you know we're, this is not something new right there's been consolidators and large operators in the franchise businesses for 50 years so we're we're uh we're really, you know, still even 20 years in, we're still new kids on the block and we're always learning. So no end goal. We're, we're all still fairly young. There's six of us. We're all equal partners. And and we've got teams of great people that, you know, we're trying to grow and we have equity you know, incentives for them. And so, you know, we want to realize a lot of that stuff for those guys. And so it's fun, man. We're, we're having a good time. So, um, you know, it's sometimes not, you know, it wasn't fun and in March 25th of 2020, when you got all, you know, all these team members relying on you, but uh, for all those ups and downs, you know, it's been a great ride. So that's awesome. It sounds like you guys have a great approach and, you know, it's, it's obvious that you keep a humble approach to your business. So credit to you guys. Uh, Congrats on all the success thus far. Uh, Excited to see what other brands you add. Yeah, Al, it's been great to talk to you. Is there anywhere online where folks can follow along, either CMG or, or you? Man, we, you know, we try to stay a little, I mean, we, we, I'm not a big social media guy. I don't have, uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't have uh, Facebook or anything. I, I got LinkedIn, I guess, probably. But uh, I think, yeah, CM, you know, www.cmg.team, you can stay kind of uh, in tune with what we're working on. We don't have a, a huge, you know, web presence for the overall CMG companies side of it. I think, you know, we give kind of, our whole point is to give all the love down to the portfolio companies and and, and that's kind of where it, where it happens anyways so. okay all right well uh there you have it folks not much for you to look at but uh i'll, I'll do a, a big I'll, you'll see it in the newsletter and on twitter I'll, I'll talk about this all well yeah thanks again al pleasure to talk with you and, and uh we'll catch up soon yeah thanks for having us on we appreciate the good stuff you're doing there for the industry so thank you Thanks for listening to Franchise Empires. We're coming to you soon with actionable insights to take the next step on your franchise journey. So make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen.